back in the UK, the old days, um, so we would regularly attend uh, a family conference, a Christian conference. And obviously it's much easier to travel big distances there because there aren't big distances. <laughs> so it's much easier to travel big distances. We used to go to one uh, a conference called Word Alive. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, and it's focused on Bible teaching. And one year we were there and the key speaker, I think I'll have the first slide if it's up there, please, Nate. There we go. Does anyone recognize that face? No. Look how small he is. See? Okay? <laughs> right. This is Vaughan Roberts, a well-known British Anglican preacher uh, from St. Ebbs uh, in Oxford. Uh, and uh, look, I know Vaughan because I go to an Anglican... Co- I used to go to an Anglican conference every year, uh, a small one, and where you got to rub shoulders with some of the key speakers around the world. You know, I got to hang out with him, drink with him, and, you know... Uh, he played a bit of tennis. He, no one wanted to play tennis with me. Yeah, just how it goes. I think he was afraid I was going to beat him. Anyway, but his thing said, so we're at this conference, and Vaughan's there, and, and when he sees me, he says, hi, Montas. Of the thousands of people at the conference, he says, hi, Montas. And I kind of felt nice. You know, this big guy, well, little guy, but big image, uh, big name, reputation, knew me. And hey, and the point I'm trying to make is it's, it's nice being known by someone special, someone of note. You're known by God. And that's what Psalm 139 is really telling us. You're known by God. Yeah, let's look at it together. The God who is all-knowing. That's the heading I want to give you. The God who is all-knowing. Verses 1 to 6. Oh Lord, so David's writing, this is the king who used to be a shepherd, a musician, and he wrote a song. And the thing about the songs of David and other key people in the Old Testament, they got added to the Bible, became a part of the Bible, became the songbook of the Bible. Well, I know we don't use hymn books these days, but this, this is in the hymn book of the Bible, the Psalms. And this is what he wrote. O oh Lord, so speaking to God, you have searched me and you know me. That's a very personal thing to say. It's not a way that you would typically have a conversation with God. It's a conversation. Do you know this is song? God, you've searched me and you know me. This searching is exploratory. David's point is that the God of the universe, the one who's created us, is such or has such interest in the beings that he's created. And David seems to be speaking specifically of himself, but we we, we must understand it generally, that, that he has an interest in the creatures he's created. Notice his point. You have searched me and you know me. This isn't just something distant. It's something very personal. Hey, look, have you ever done a search? If you do a search for something, an exploratory search, an examination, do we, have any, we don't have any GPs in our... Uh, we've got a nurse. I mean, Morag must do search, exploratory searches on people for reasons. It's, when you do that, 
you get to know someone a little more. This is an exploration by God. And David gives details. Look, you know when I sit and when I rise. Let me ask you, uh, Catherine, how many times since you've woken up this morning have you sat down and risen? Greg, do you know? Greg? 20. 20? Nowhere near it, is it? Yeah, she hasn't got up all morning, mate. <laughs> Sorry, Catherine. Hey, the thing that David wants us to know, look, you know when I sit and when I rise. You know when we carry those stepometers? Does anybody wear those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many thousand steps, Lee, do you tend to do? Uh, about 8,000. 8,000 an hour? A day. A day. An hour. <laughs> I mean, incredible. Hey, God knows, and the point is, he knows your movements, this sitting, this rising. What David is saying is God is aware of your movements. Some of you, if you can cast your mind back, uh, when we were, uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody, we were at somebody's house recently and they were showing us videos of their kids from like 20 odd years ago, you know, and just watching, just watching details of their lives and watching with particular interest now that they're older. You know, watching a child when they're sleeping. You remember doing that? Hey, God is aware of your movements. Every movement. You discern, verse 3, my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. You know, I have a twitch every now and then. I don't know if you picked it up before. Okay, hey, He knows that. He knows where you go. He knows where you've been. In fact, notice, he goes, you're familiar, which means God, the reality is we are creatures who, you know, who go through similar processes through the week. Look, you know, if you come to our house you know, at 7 o'clock, you know, there's kids trying to get out of bed. It happens every morning on a school day. It's the same old routine. Are you going to get up? Are you going to get up? Are you going to get dressed? Are you going to get dressed? Are you going to have your breakfast? It's a similar routine every day. Never changes. God is familiar with the patterns of your life. He knows you go back home. He knows you go back to an empty house, house maybe. He knows the things you face. He knows the routine. He's familiar with your life. In fact, if I just, just jump into the New Testament, you'll be familiar with this verse, Luke 12. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. That's not hard, is it? For some. <laughs> yeah, I was telling your wife this morning, you know, that that's not hard for some. I wasn't thinking of you, Graham. Uh, but hey, I wasn't, I wasn't. Yeah. Hey, you know, to have numbered someone's hairs and considering how many hairs fall out on a daily basis, that's detail. And so here's the thing. This knowledge, David's given us some parameters. It gets deeper and deeper. I'll go back to the psalm. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Before the word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Hey. Can you see what the picture David's giving? It's almost as though he stands back there. Look, God knows me. Hey, hey. He knows when I sit. But I, I can get that through binoculars or a telescope. 
Okay? He goes, he goes, you discern my going out. You're familiar with all my ways. Again, look, that's pretty distant. But you perceive my thoughts from afar. Do you know, there's not a, there's not a single piece of technology to date that can even perceive somebody's thoughts near. Seriously. See, it's an impossible task. But God perceives thoughts. And listen to this. Before a word is on my tongue. I know some of us, me included, you know, <laughs> we don't know ourselves <laughs> what we're going to say before we say, do we? Get ourselves into all kinds of mess. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I wish I had said that. That was a stupid thing to say, wasn't it? You know, some of us just don't get our heads into gear before we speak. Motormouth. Look, I'm from a culture, well, look, I'm obviously from a British culture, but I was born in a country called Bangladesh. And in that culture, I left it as a child, so I don't really understand the culture, but the bit I do know is if you're a motormouth, motor that goes down well. Seriously, if you just, if you've got the gift of the gab and just speak, that goes down well. If you're one of these thinkers and you think about what you say, they think you're silly, they think you're stupid. Seriously, because you obviously can't think on your feet. Okay, and, and here's the thing, you know, some of us can say crazy stuff. In the West, the thinking is reverse, isn't it? You know, people want you to be thoughtful. Hey, some of us say the craziest thing without thinking about it. Yeah, God knew even that. He says he knows our thoughts. He knows the word that's going to be on our tongues and he knows it completely. Can you get the picture that, of you that God knows? He knows you from the outside. He knows you from afar. He knows you close up. He's done an exploration of you. He knows your thoughts and he knows what you're going to say. Hey, that must mean he knows this sermon. I wonder what he thinks of it. Could have done better. I used to get that on my school, on my school reports. Try harder. Put more. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Read more books. You know, yeah. spend more time getting some answers from me. You know, the thing about sermons, it's not just about reading books. Hey, some people I know sometimes wonder, wonder, wonder what Montas does. Some people ask me. Uh, apart from the obvious, I visit people and uh, I obviously do the services, have meetings and stuff like that. Uh, hey, I spend a lot, of my, a lot of time thinking through the word of God. Seriously, prayerfully thinking through. You know, here's the word. What does this mean? And, and asking God to give me information to share. So when he's, I hope he's thinking, well, I gave him that one. That's the right one. That's the one I gave you. You've got it right. And I guess sometimes I'll lose something in translation. And it doesn't quite come out the way that God, you know, revealed it to me. So please forgive me. But he's thinking, he knows my sermon. He knows exactly when I'm going to finish, Graham. He knows the very last word I'm going to say. Hey, he knows the conversation that Helen will have this afternoon with that person she encounters. And this is the God. This is what he knows about you. And here's one more thing. Okay. So he knows your thoughts, okay? He knows what you're going to say. But here's the mind-blowing one. And I'm going to ask you to help me out here. What does he know here? What does he know here? 
Okay, this goes deeper than anything so far we've had. Anything? How, how can you go deeper than thoughts? You listen to this. Okay, Matthew 11. Woe to you, this is Jesus speaking, and he reveals the depth of his knowledge. Woe to you, Chorazin, okay? Woe to you, Bethsaida. Okay, he's obviously upset at these locations, at their rejection of, of God, of him. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What, what information about God are we getting there? Now, I've said to you, the clue is that that goes way deeper than any knowledge of God that you've had so far from the psalm. What, what, why, why is that deeper? Someone tell me, what do we learn about God there? With Jesus and God. With Jesus is speaking, speaking as God. What are we learning about God there? It goes deeper than anything the psalm has said so far. Uh, he has emotions, he certainly does. Yes, Morag. But something else, some other, something fascinating about God's ability, his ability. He does love us. I won't embarrass you. Shout anything out, Pam. He knows all the people in Yes, you're getting Pam's en route. He knows all the people in Tyre and Sodor. Even though they're gone, he knew them. You're halfway there. There's a bit more to it. Someone else have a go. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Des. But through Jesus, thank you. We're not doing enough. There is that to this one other thing. You'll, you'll kick yourself when I tell you. Does anybody else want to have a guess? They didn't go deep enough. They didn't, no, they didn't. There's something else. Okay, I'll, I'll read it to you and you'll, it'll come to you. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Okay, I'll give you an example. Nikki, uh, if you uh, if you had put on your purple shoes this morning, you would have looked much groovier. Now, okay. Now, what did I just do? I'm making assumptions about a particular act that hasn't occurred. I'm making an assumption that should such an act have occurred, that would have been the outcome. But I'm just guessing at that. Can you see? I'm just guessing... If you had your purple shoes on, you would have looked more groovy. You may not have. I'm just guessing. When Jesus says, if Tyre and Sidon had, Sidon had had the miracles that they'd been performed in Chorazin, okay, they would have repented. That's not an assumption. What is that? It's a statement of fact. Now, can you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, if that had happened in that situation, that would have been the outcome. And it's not an assumption. It's a fact. Jesus is saying that his knowledge goes beyond even perceiving somebody's thoughts, but he can calculate and foresee the outcomes, the precise outcomes of what? Stuff that hasn't even happened. That hasn't even happened. He can see the outcomes of decisions that you may make that you have not made. Can you see the point? In other words, Jesus can see... So, Nikki, let me bring this in real time. You're wondering what to do about X, uh, or about a situation on Wednesday, okay? Okay, you've got several options. Jesus knows the outcome of every option going into that situation. And that's the point. He knows the outcome of every combination of the decision that you're about to make. He knows every single outcome not just by mere assumption, 
But he knows it. As though you made the decision. Whatever decision you make. Which means that Jesus can calculate multi, at multiple levels, excuse me, the outcomes of multiple situations simultaneously. He can, he can calculate every... You know, look, if you, if, you, if you make something at home, you, know, you cut something up, and you think, oh, goodness sake, if I'd known this, I would have made it longer. <laughs> Still I know. God knows the eventualities of circumstances that haven't even happened or even been chosen. Which means when we stand before God, we cannot say what? If that, would, if that was different, God, I would have done this. Because he would have to show you on video. No, 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 no. I know exactly the outcome if that was the scenario. And so this is the God we're dealing with. Can you see that this God has knowledge beyond what any human could even imagine? Who could even imagine that God could know the outcomes of my choices that I haven't even made? Wow. And so David, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And here's how he finishes. So look, you're thinking, well, well, you may not be, but I'm thinking, well, for sure. I'm easily wowed. Okay? David, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. That sounds like flowery language, doesn't it? Oh, it's wonderful. What he means is, wow! Wow! God, you know that much? Can you see who we're dealing with? We have to remember, this is not an equal. This being is the most sophisticated, incredible machine being that we could ever encounter. And that being knows you personally. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may have heard the name. Famous German pastor. Was assassinated by the Nazis. When he was in his prison cell in 1945, towards the end of the war, he almost made it towards the end of the war. Do you know what he said? The thing that gave him the most comfort when he was in that prison cell, you know, almost certain that death was ahead of him. You know, the thing you would have thought that gave him the most comfort was the fact that he could say, hey, I know God. I'm going to be okay. I know God. That wasn't. Guess what? What was the thing that gave him the greatest sense of, uh, of comfort? Peace in that situation. Someone have a guess. Amen, Sylvia. It was you, wasn't it? (laughs) I sometimes get a little excited. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The big thing is, I may know God, (laughs) but I forget things. I forgot to do the prayer before I did the sermon. I was going to pray for your... Uh, Rory, please forgive me. I forget things. It's not good me, you know, oh, I know God. I might forget. You know, I get too busy. You know, hey, here's the thing. Look, you may know Queen Elizabeth II, but if you turn up at Buckingham Palace, it won't do much for you. <laughs> well, what really matters is if Queen Elizabeth knows you. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer sitting in his cell, 
And the thing that brings in the biggest comfort, no doubt from Psalm 139, is that, hey, God knows me. He knows I'm here. He sees me. He knows what I'm going to be tomorrow. He knows what happens the next day. He knows what those men, those wretched men are devising against me. He knows. And so, hey, it's going to be okay. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. My first point, I think it's been longer than I intended to forgive me, is simply this, that he is the God who is all-knowing and in particular the God who is all-knowing about you. He knows you. He knows you. And here's the wonderful thing. If you knew me, I'd be embarrassed. Seriously. You know, the thing about God is, you don't need to be embarrassed about God because he knows you and still loves you. He knows you and still cares for you. As we said earlier on in, in that free sermon, he sorted out your sin. He sorted it out. Hey, you don't have to hide from him. And it's pointless anyway, isn't it? It's what Eve and Adam tried, remember? And what was the point in that? God knew exactly where they were and what they'd done. Let me move on. Secondly, uh, the God from whom we're never hidden. The God from whom we're never hidden. Listen to this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Where, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise to the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea... Even there your hand will guide me. Your hand, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hold me and the right light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. You get the feeling, don't you, when David wrote this, he's either hiding from God because something wasn't great in his life at that moment. And acknowledging, hey, what's the point? What's the point? Like we just said. Or he feels he's hidden from God. Remember, David was on the run many a times in his life. Even from Saul. It was occasion, remember, in Saul's presence when he's playing the harp? It was a little thing, okay? And Saul tries to spear him. And so here's David writing, hey, God knows all these things, so he knows, but but this is not just knowledge, this is God's presence. Where can I go from your presence? So we've gone from knowledge now, the first part of the psalm, that God knows things. The second part of the psalm is, is not just knowledge, God doesn't just know Where can I go from your spirit? What is God? God is spirit. When we're talking about God's spirit, we're talking about God here. Where can I go from God's presence? If I go there, he's there. If I go there, he's there. If I go there, he's there. If I stay here, he's here. Where can I go to get away from God? Or where can I be that God is not? Where? 
And you know what will be discovered? He's even in Oz. Seriously. Yeah. Wherever you go. And, and he, the point is that, that David finds assurance here is that God doesn't just know him. And there's a lot of assurance in that. But God is, it's a W word, word. God is, no, I wasn't quite thinking of that. I was thinking about presence. God is with him. He's with him. Here's God's name. Now someone tell me, what, what is God's name? And, and, it's God, and his name reveals something about this. What is God's name? Okay, Yahweh, okay, is the closest to the Hebrew, but nobody knows how to pronounce it. Okay? Okay? That's assumed the closest. If somebody was going to, was anybody going to say Jehovah? Jehovah is a, is a translation of the name. Okay? Okay? The, the original, no one can pronounce it. The best translation, the closest English translation is, who knows the closest English translation? I'm looking for tissue. Someone tell me. Yeah. Yes. The closest English translation of God's name is I am. It's what he revealed when Moses says, Who shall I say to the people, send me? You know, they're gonna know who sent me, you know, because there's a lot of gods you see. Is it their God? And what does he say to Moses? I am. Who I am. Okay. Yeah, it's one of the reasons we know that although that Jesus never actually says "I am God," and then, you know some people throw the stupidest things, you know, at the Bible. Oh, Jesus never said "I am God." Oh, look, goodness sake, mate! Just read between the lines. One of the things that Jesus said. What did he often say? When he he said before Abraham, this is what he said to the Jews, and they were going to stone him. John eight, before. Abraham was born, I am. What was his point? That I was there. Okay, and so God's name is, I was there. That's his name. I was there. You name me a place. Name me a place. Say a place. Any place, Graham. I was there. God is saying. Name me a, a time. I was there. Name an episode from your life. The birth of children. I was there. God's name is a perpetual constant. It's a reminder that God is saying to you that you can name anything, you can name any place, any scenario, any time, any location. And God was... And that's boring, but it's true. I was there. I am there. In fact, it's not so much even that I was God. This is I am is in the present continuous sense that God is there. He is. He always is. He's in every place. He inhabits every scenario. So let me tell you one thing. You don't have to say in your home groups when there's only two of you there. And I always hear this and it worries me up silly. What do, what do, what, what, what do people say? When there's two or three God, and silly. Because, oh, we, let's have our meeting because Jesus is here. Because there's two of us here. I'm like, what is the matter with you? He's always here. He's always here. 
And that verse is from Matthew 18. It's about a judicial situation. It's when you're judging a case of sin, when two or three of you come together to, 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 to preside over the matter. Jesus is saying he's presiding over it. He is there. It's misquoted. Exactly. Oh, this is yeah, don't have a meeting. It's only me. Absolutely. Don't say that, please. Just have your meeting, even if you're there by yourself. And you know the thing: even if you're not there, he's there. It'd be difficult to have a meeting then. But this is the God that we're dealing with. That is there. You can't remove yourself. God is so associated with being in existing that your existence is tied to him. You cannot exist and be outside of the existence of God. They're so tied together. To exist means to exist where God is. Look, let me give you one other verse, and I'm going to try and close up soon. I'm sure, um, I must have gone on for too long. I can't remember what time I started, Helen. But it must be long. It feels long. Okay, that's what you're thinking. It feels long, aren't you? 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. His eyes see, his presence, his Presence is present, and between the two, you're covered. That's the message I want to leave with you. You're covered. He sees, he hears, and he's present. There's nothing more. Let me tell you, about, I'll tell you a story, a real-life story. I met this guy at a conference many years ago, Ben Quasi. I think I've got, there's, there's a picture of him. You can, you can Google this story on YouTube if you want to hear it for yourself. I mean, he tells you, he tells you all over the world. He tells us he's the Anglican bishop of the Diocese of Josh in Nigeria. Okay? A big guy in the Anglican church, the evangelical Anglican church there. And he goes, there were at least three attempts on his life by local militia, guerrillas. Okay? On one occasion, it was a Tuesday evening, July the 24th, 2.15 a.m., he says, a gang of men came in they, they, they apprehended his security guards, tied them up. They tied up and locked up his domestic staff in the compound that he lived. Okay, They came armed with guns and knives. They bashed in the door. Okay, And they got Bishop Quasi. They tied him up. They put him on his knee. Put a gun to his head. And... walked away. Seriously. It says, he, he was ready to die. He goes, he doesn't know why. He goes, I just walked away. Disappeared. And he tell, he's alive. He's alive today. He tells a story. He'll tell it much better than I've told it. You ever listen? You Google his name. And, and so this is, what, this is what we're saying here. Look, and the thing about God's presence, hey, we talked about this recently. We have a member of our church who talked about seeing Jesus recently. And it might sound weird. 
No more weird than the Bible. It's no more weird than the Bible. You know, when the Apostle Paul was on trial for his life, not knowing what was ahead of him, though Jesus had been dead now for three decades at least, okay? We're told in Acts 23, 11, the following night, the Lord, that's the name they gave to Jesus, stood near Paul. If you ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's one of those textbooks, standard textbooks you read at Bible college. You know, uh, written hundreds of years ago, uh, but it chronicles the, the deaths in those first 300 years of the church. Hundreds of deaths. And it sounds a morbid, horrible book, doesn't it? It's actually a very uplifting book because it catalogues all the details of them getting captured, property confiscated, thrown to lions or burnt on a stake, and it captures the details and captures their last words. Okay? And you know what many of them said, spoke, at the final moments of their lives? Have a guess, somebody. They gave thanks to God. There was something more than that, Lee. Yeah, some of them said that. or something more about their own personal comfort. You're getting there. Some of them saw Jesus. Some of them saw Jesus standing with them in the, what do you call those arenas where the gladiator... Yes, thank you, the Colosseum, thank you. Some of them saw Jesus in the Colosseum. Some of them, hey, I've read these accounts, they're coming to me now as I'm talking to you. One lady, thrown to beast in the Colosseum, torn apart, barely alive, along with a, with a sibling, I think, or a friend who's also a Christian. And, and this is, uh, she's just overheard by their family members, hence why it's been chronicled said to the other, he goes, has it started yet? Have they released the beast onto us? Jesus had so powerfully guarded her heart and mind that she wasn't even aware. That she was mauled half to death. As a point we're making, friends, and the point of the psalm is that he's with you. He knows you. He sees you. He's present in your life. And he will walk through with you. He'll never leave you. He says in Matthew 28, he'll never leave you. Never forsake you. He walked through that surgery with Lorraine. He was with you, Lorraine. With Catherine. With you through that. He sees, he knows, he's present. Hang on to that. That's what's going to take you through. Hang on to him. He's not your enemy. Get that through your heart and mind. He's not your enemy. He's your ally, he's your friend, he's your God, he's your father. He loves you, he cares for you, 
and is going to walk through this with you all the way. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is light to you. Amen.